This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. It's good to see you here. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor at Christian Chapel. If this is your first time or maybe first time in a long time, we're thrilled you're here and also really happy to have you joining us in the third week of a new message series that we've called Not Impressed. And so this fall, we're looking at different stories from the life of Jesus and seeing how he just teaches us over and over and over again that he is not impressed by our awfulness. He's not impressed by our awesomeness. But he is moved to action, moved to draw us into a relationship with him, moved to act on our behalf no matter what we're facing. And so this week we're going to look at a story in John chapter 6 and see how Jesus is not impressed by our problems. Um, How many of you faced some problems last week? Anybody? All right, the rest of you we would like to talk to because you had a perfect week and we don't know what that's like. Um, How many of you, you know there are some problems on the horizon next week? They're already... You might have already scheduled them. They have names. Some of you drove your problems to church this morning, and you will drive home with them this afternoon. I mean your car. If you mean your spouse or kids, we will pray extra for you. Um, but we, we just all, we all have problems, and we will all always have problems. It is part of life. And what we're going to see in John 6 is that as we come and surrender our problems to Jesus, as we come and ask him what his plan is, that he will answer us in a way that far exceeds anything we could have ever dreamed possible. Right, now, now, last week we talked about how Jesus is not impressed by our storms, and he comes into the, the most difficult moments in life, right? So we were really looking at those seasons where it is life-threatening, where the news is life-altering, and talked about how Jesus can bring peace with a word. This morning when we talk about problems, uh, we're talking more about just those everyday headaches, hassles, heartaches, right? Those things that they are a big deal to you, but you know at the end of the day they're not actually life-threatening. But they still consume you. They still make you think. They still make you worry. They still cause you anxiety. And so we're going to see how Jesus enters into these spaces and really begins to show us that every problem we face is an opportunity to experience his power and to experience his provision. So we're going to look at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. If you have a Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it's going to be here on the screen for you. It says in verse 1, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So the the first thing we see here in John 6 is Jesus is not impressed by your problems. 
And so, so we need to do a little work here to um, just kind of get a, a mental picture of what's going on. So Jesus, he's growing in popularity. People are starting to hear who he is. His fame precedes him as he goes into a lot of areas. And he has this growing reputation for that's the man that heals the sick and that's the man that drives out evil spirits. And so what people are learning is not only is Jesus not impressed by your problems, Jesus is often the solution to your problems. And as this reputation grows, the crowds grow who want to come and follow him. And so we find him in the situation with his disciples, and they, they have kind of escaped a the crowd. They've crossed the Sea of Galilee, but people know that they're there, and so they are starting already to come from everywhere. And the, the picture that John is painting for us is one of Jesus knowing that the crowd is coming. And so he begins to climb up a mountain on the, the side of the sea. Now, we live in Oklahoma, so we have to, to work a little bit to picture what that's like. This is not Turkey Mountain, okay? This is a, an actual mountain. There is some elevation gain that Jesus and his disciples are experiencing as they go up. And in some point along the way, he sees a spot where he wants to stop. And it's a spot where there is some kind of natural meadow or, or amphitheater, something very large where, where there's space for a lot of people to sit down. And Jesus sits down. And the picture we're given is Jesus sits down with his back to the top of the hill. And it seems that the disciples think that it is now time for them to learn from Jesus. So it seems that they are sitting with their backs to the bottom of the hill. And so what, what we're trying to understand here is that in John 6, Jesus has the high ground. Right? He has the position where he can see the valley and he can see the people approaching. And so as Jesus is seeing this, the disciples, their attention is turned towards him. And eventually he makes them aware of the problem. But by the time they turn around and see that the crowd is coming, it's too late and they can't do anything about it. Right? And so it's, it's important for us to just really understand this, this very simple point that we're being taught in John 6. Jesus sees every problem coming every time, okay? He always, in your life, in this situation in John 6, he always has the high ground, and he always sees everything that's on the horizon. Nothing ever sneaks up on him. Nothing ever catches him off guard. He is fully prepared for every problem you're going to face. That doesn't mean necessarily that he sent the problem. It doesn't necessarily mean that his, that problem is, is his will for your life because it could be that that problem is a result of your sin or the sin of someone else. But, but no matter how it came to be, Jesus saw it coming. And because he sees everything coming in our life, what that should do for us is that should cause us to take just a massive deep breath, an incredibly large sigh of relief of, okay, it's not on me. The disciples turn around. There's this moment of panic of we didn't save enough money. We didn't bake enough bread. We can't travel far enough fast enough to take care of all these things. And you and I, we have those same problems in our life, right? You, you get the diagnosis and the doctor says, hey, your health's not as good as it should have been. You think, oh, man, if only I could rewind the clock 10 years and eat better and sleep more and, and exercise and do those kind of things. Or you get the bad financial news and you think, oh, if only I had time to save and prepare for this. There are problems in life that are incredibly overwhelming to us, and oftentimes they're overwhelming because we didn't see them coming, or we saw them coming, we just feel completely inadequate to do anything about it. But where we find comfort as followers of Jesus is that we will never find ourselves in a space or a situation that he did not see coming. And so Jesus, he decides he's going to use this as an opportunity to teach his disciples about who he is and what he does. 
So it says, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So the, the reason that Jesus asks Philip is Philip is actually from this area, right? And, and so Philip, it makes sense. Well, of course, Jesus would ask me because I can tell him where the bakeries are. I can tell him who makes good bread. I can tell him don't eat her bread. It never rises, right? He can, just thinks like, I, I've got this. But Philip thinks, okay, Jesus is, is bringing a problem to me, so I better solve it. And his solution is to look at Jesus and say, this is impossible, it would take half a year's wages just to give each person a bite. It's the equivalent of saying, Jesus, this is hopeless. Well, well meanwhile, Philip is trying to, to solve the problem. There's another disciple over on the side, Andrew. And, and so Philip kind of approaches the, the solution from an intellectual level. He's thinking, how would we pay for this? How would we, would we process this? What would, it, what would it look like? Andrew attacks the problem from a practical level. He decides, I'm going to start going through the crowd, and I'm going to see, hopefully everybody actually brought their own lunch, and then I'm going to come back to Jesus, and I'm going to say, hey, good news, don't worry about it, they're good. Right? Andrew is that kid in your class when, in school growing up. You, know, it, you might not have ever been in this position. It happened to me frequently, uh, where the teacher would ask you a question, and you knew, I have no idea, either because I wasn't paying attention at all to what you were saying, or I just literally don't know, and I'm just trying not to flunk this class. Uh, so, so, but in that space, there was always that kid in your class who saw you struggling and saw it as his opportunity to show you that you actually are stupid and he's really smart, right? Or it might have been a girl. I don't, I don't know, depending on the class. But this is Andrew, right? Philip's over here kind of struggling through, running the calculations and thinking, man, we can't afford it. And Andrew's over here saying, Jesus, 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 I know, I know, I know. And he, he comes to him and he says, look, I found five loaves of bread and two fish. And you can almost picture his excitement. I did it, Jesus. I got something. Look. And then in that moment, he has that realization of, I found five loaves of bread and two fish. And there are thousands and thousands of people here. And Andrew comes to the, the same conclusion that Philip does. How can so little go so far among so many? He just has this answer. We, we can't do anything about it. Now, there's, there's a couple important things to, to notice here. The, it says that he finds five barley loaves. Now, these are not barley loaves. They're Panera loaves. I don't, I don't actually know what kind they are, but I know they're from Panera, so they can charge you 50% more than anywhere else you might buy bread. But... Um, you know, so, so we didn't have, I, I didn't ask if they had barley. By the time I went yesterday afternoon, they had this. So this is what we got for today. Um, but barley was the bread of the poor. Right? It didn't taste as good. It was harder to cook with. And, and if you saw somebody with barley loaves, it was a sign of their economic standing. And so what we're being told here in John chapter 6 is not only do the disciples lack the quantity to feed the people who were there, but they also lack quality resources to feed the people who are there. And, it, and how often do we feel this facing our own problems of, God, it's not just that I don't have enough. It's that I don't even have the right stuff. Right? Like you, you're calling me to change the legacy of my family. And I'm saying, Lord, I, I don't know how to do that. You're calling me to, to launch this new business. And I'm saying, God, I'm not, I don't have the resources to do it. And even if I had the resources, I'm not smart enough to do it. You're calling me to take these steps of faith, and Lord, I'm just saying, I, you got the wrong guy. 
I don't have the quantity or the quality to do what you want me to do. But what we're going to learn in in John chapter 6 is Jesus is not concerned about the quality or quantity of what you have in your hands. What he's concerned about is will you release it to him and let him do what he wants to do with it. But but before we get there, we've, we've got to think for a minute. The disciples, they display a tendency that we all have. They're presented with a problem, and they decide they're going to figure out how to fix it. And the problem with problem solvers is we always start by asking the question, what can I do? Right? And, and problem solvers are great. Like we're, we're glad that there are problem solvers in the world. I'm glad when I call for IT help, there is a problem solver on the other end. Right? I'm glad when I have an issue with my car that I can take it to a mechanic who's a problem solver. I don't want to take it to someone who's like, man, not my problem. Like that's not, that's not beneficial to me, and they're going out of business soon, right? But, but here's the thing. As followers of Jesus, sometimes our tendency to jump right into solving the problem prevents us from seeing what he wants to do in this situation. Jesus, it says, turns to Philip and says, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed these people? But it said he already had in mind what he was going to do. He was just testing the disciples. And it's so important for us to remember. There has never been a time in your life where Jesus has looked at the problems you're facing and said, what do you think we should do? There's never been a moment, like all the problems I faced in my life, there's never been a moment where I've come and said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And that his spirit has spoken back to me and said, I don't either, Chris. What do you think? It just doesn't happen. And yet... Often when I'm facing problems, that's exactly how I behave. Of, Lord, I, I see this problem, and, and well, I, I've been through something similar before, so I, I know I need to start down this path. Or, Lord, I see this problem, and I have this friend who can help me with it, so let's, let's do it. Or, God, I see this problem, but this weakness is actually an area I'm strong, so I'm just going to get to work, and I'm going to go do it. And, and while God can use those things, before he ever asks us to solve a problem, he asks us to surrender everything to him in that situation. Right? And so there's, a, there's another story, if you back up about four chapters, back to John chapter 2. So in John chapter 2, there's a story of Jesus is again at another big, big social setting. He's at a wedding this time. And this time, instead of running out of food, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes to him instead of the disciples. And his mother comes to him and she says, son, they are out of wine. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, it is not my time. Now there is a whole nother sermon there that we don't have time for today. Uh, But my my mom is here this morning. She came over to watch my son get baptized this morning. So just word of advice to any of our teenage boys in the room. Just because Jesus said it doesn't mean you can say it. Uh, been down that road, tried it, doesn't turn out well, okay? So, uh, but his statement, it's not as offensive in, in his time as it sounds like in our time, okay? But, but basically, Jesus says, it's not my time. And Mary doesn't really engage any more than that. She just turns to a couple servants and says, y'all do whatever he tells you, right? And, and so two examples, two people who are growing in their awareness of who Jesus is, Mary and the disciples, Two sets of problems that are beyond the natural ability to meet. And in one situation, the disciples, Philip and Andrew, think, we'll go to work because Jesus clearly has no idea what he's doing. And in the other situation, Mary knows whatever he says, you do, and that's going to solve it. Right? And, and so the problem solver says, what can I do? The follower of Jesus always starts with the question, what can Jesus do? What do you want to do here? Now, in both of these 
these situations, there is miraculous provision. Right? But, it, but it comes in two different ways. The disciples, it comes through a frustrating, um, humbling process. Mary, it comes just through this faith-filled experience of, see, I told you. You even told me it wasn't your time, Jesus, but I told you you could do it. And he does it, and it's, it's this amazing, wonderful. And, and so for us, what we have to understand, when we're facing problems, God very well might use the things you already have in your hands to solve the problems. But he still expects you to surrender those to him first. Never assume that just because this is how God did it in the past, this is how he's going to do it right here and right now. But in every situation, with every problem, as people of faith, we begin with a statement of surrender. Jesus, I believe you saw this coming, and so I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust you. And now, Lord, what do you want to do? I'm surrendering everything, all my resources, all my time, all my talent, all my abilities. I'm surrendering it all to you. I'm just saying, Lord, what do you want to do. And in that space, we start to learn that Jesus can change our perspective. He can completely change the way we see our circumstances. He does this with the disciples. So they, they get to this point of realizing they have no idea what to do. So Jesus says, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that area, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So, so what we're learning here is, is we've got to change our perspective, right? And, and what happens, so just physically think of the posture of the disciples. When the story starts, they are seated with their attention on Jesus. And then their attention turns to the problem at hand. And when their attention turns to the problem, that's where they let their focus stay, right? So, so what they could have done is they could have said, okay, we're here, we're learning, we're paying attention to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, look at all these people coming. Where are we going to find bread? And what they could have done was just a quick glance over their shoulder and turn back and said, we don't know. What do you want us to do? All right, that, that's the way the story should go, but it doesn't. What the disciples do is they turn and they focus on the problem, and the problem gets bigger, and Jesus gets smaller in their hearts and in their eyes. And so the first thing Jesus does to solve their problem is he starts by saying, just get everybody to sit down. And as everybody sits down, their attention is once again turned back towards Jesus. And, and the disciples in this miracle story, they don't participate. They don't help pass out the bread. They sit down with the people. And so their attention is again turned back towards Jesus. When you and I are facing problems, the first thing we want to do, the first thing the Spirit is going to enable us to do is turn our attention back towards Jesus. But the great temptation will be to just keep chasing your problems, magnifying your problems, and letting them grow in your heart, in your mind, and shrinking Jesus in your heart and your mind at the same time. But as Jesus gives you this new perspective, it prepares you to experience the miracle that he's already prepared for you. And, and what we see is that as the disciples turn back, Jesus takes the bread from them. And he takes the bread, and he gives thanks for it, and then he begins to pass it out. And as he begins to pass it out, he is teaching us, he's teaching the disciples to see all of our problems as opportunities. That every difficult season I face, every unwanted moment I walk into, doesn't mean that God sent it to me, but it does mean he can work through this situation. Right, so, so I now have the opportunity to view every difficult situation I have with someone in my life as, as an opportunity for God to work and move. 
right, to, to sow the fruit of the Spirit in me, to give me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things that I don't naturally have, I am only presented with opportunities as I encounter problems. Right? It, it means that, that later this week, if there's some physical pain that pops up in my body, I can see that problem as an opportunity for God to come and once again work his healing touch in me. Once again, give me courage. Once again, give me strength. Once again, give me faith. It means as I'm presented with an opportunity this week that, that seems far beyond my ability, just, just so bigger than anything I could ever dream or hope for or imagine, that as I step into that space, that problem becomes an opportunity for God to show me just how big, just how strong he is. And that is really easy to agree with on a Sunday morning. And Thursday afternoon, when you're driving your car in a parking lot and all of a sudden it starts to shake or knock a little bit, it's really hard to say, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Right? When that person, you know, you already see their face. They drive you nuts. I mean, your skin just crawls. When they, when they walk in your office or your classroom tomorrow, it is really hard to look at them and say, Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that in this space, you're going to take this problem and you're going to show me grace and mercy and love. And you're going to, it's just, it's so difficult to do because we always see problems as problems. And we think every, the only opportunity we want is for God to remove it and never bring it back again. But it's just not how it works. And what, what we see again and again and again in his interactions with the disciples and his interactions with us is that every problem creates space in our lives for us to remember, I can't control it, I can't handle it, but Jesus can. I didn't, and as you get into that space, you start to understand how amazing God is. You see, on, on that day, Jesus is not asking Philip and Andrew to perform a miracle. He's asking them to witness a miracle. He's not asking them to make do with what they have in their hands. He's saying, watch what I'm going to do with what you have in your hands. And for us, as long as we live in a space where we can do everything, achieve everything on our own, we never get taken into the place of dependence on Jesus Christ. Which means as followers of Jesus, we can confidently say, anything that causes me to rely more on Jesus is ultimately a good thing. And so it doesn't mean I have to say, God, send me difficulty. God, send me sickness. We're not going to pray those prayers. But we also know just the way that life works, those things are going to come at us. But when they come, Jesus saw it coming, and Jesus has a plan for it. What the disciples started to learn through this was not just that problems were opportunities, but they also started to learn that he is always a God of multiplication. Now, there's a lot of, um, a lot of talk about new math. Right? I'm sure some of you have you've seen posts and articles and things like that. Honestly, like, I know that's a hot-button issue for some of you. Um, just know that there are people like me in the world that whether it's old math, new math, any math, we just don't care. Right? So you guys fight all day about the best way to teach it, and there's always some dude in the corner like, doesn't matter how you teach it, I don't get it. Right? And that's me. Uh, so, so, but here's what Jesus is teaching a little bit of new math. Because you and I, we read this story, and just like the disciples, we think 5 plus 2 equals 7. Right? And that leaves us 4,993 pieces of food short of just feeding the men, let alone the women and children. I mean, the crowd could have been ten or 15,000 people that day. And so we, we are just always looking at what we have in our hands, and we're looking back at Jesus and saying, it's just not enough. God, I just can't do enough. 
And what we're learning in this story is that he is a God of multiplication. That with Jesus, 5 plus 2 can equal 5,000. Right? That he can take the little bit we have and he can multiply it out to, to expand in ways that we never could have imagined. All that's required of us is surrender. Just saying, okay, Lord, you can, you can have it. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to do it. And, and if we had time to go around the room today, I know many of you could tell stories of the multiplication that God has done in your life. Right? I see Cheryl Bauman sitting back there. 35 years or so ago, there was just this little desire in her heart of, I'd like to help some women in crisis pregnancy. I'd, I'd like to help them know that they're loved, that God has a plan for them, that, that they can parent or they can place their baby for adoption. And 35 years later, we've seen thousands of volunteers come through. We've seen hundreds of babies whose lives have been saved, women whose lives have been changed, because there was just this little thought of, well, God, it's not much, but whatever you can do. Right, an initial investment of $250 has become an organization with a $300,000 annual budget. That's what multiplication looks like. This past week, I went to a banquet for Crossover Community Impact here in Tulsa. And it started as one pastor, his name's Philip, with a dream of just, I want to plant a life-giving church in North Tulsa. And, and over the past 12 years, it has went from just this, this tiny little thing to now they have a, a community uh, clinic that cares for over 5,000 patients a year. They've started a private school that educates 120 young men every year. They have sports programs. They have a housing rehabilitation program where they go in and buy houses and renew them. And, and they're, they're renewing entire communities. And it started with just one pastor's little dream of, God, I just want to be part of a life-giving church and see what you can do. See, there are stories all over the world and all over this room that he is a God of multiplication. I mean, even on on much smaller scales, there have been seasons in your life, for many of you, I know it because I've heard the stories, where you have seen someone in desperate need of encouragement, desperate need of hope, and you felt like God told you, I want you to go over and I want you to speak to them. And you looked at your hands and said, God, I've got, I've got five loaves and two fish. And they've got a multitude of problems. Like, I, I can't do it. It's not going to make a difference. And he says, just trust me. And as you trust him and you surrender, you go and speak just that, sometimes just one or two sentences, just a few short words. And it affirms to them, God sees me, he knows me, loves me, has a plan for me. And it becomes the seed of hope and the seed of change. And I've heard the stories of some of you of the transformation in your life started with one conversation with one person. Why? Because he's the God of multiplication. And he just takes what we surrender And he does even more. You see, not only is he the God of multiplication, he's the God of abundance. Jesus doesn't feed people a little. Remember Philip's initial rejection. He says, Lord, it would take half a year's wages to give everyone here a bite of food. Philip has no frame of reference for feeding everyone. And, And the only way he can even get close is by thinking, well, okay, at least in this scenario, everyone could have a nibble. But but what we're told is that Jesus feeds everyone until they have all had enough. Do you know what it's like to feed 5,000 men until they've all had enough? Right, like in, in many of us, there is a disconnect between our stomach and our brain. And long after our stomach is full, we still think we have room for more. And that's just the men. I mean, there undoubtedly, there were teenage boys who were there that day as well. Anybody ever raise a teenage boy, right? You're still trying to recover financially from that six years where you were just like, can we just move into Sam's? Like, that's going to be easier. Just 
we'll just stay here, maybe we'll work here, we'll leave you at night so you can eat, right? I mean, you felt like you were running a feedlot in your house. And what Jesus says here is there are 5,000 people, has five loaves, two fish, and everyone eats until they've had enough, till they've had their full, till they don't want any more. He is a God of abundance. You see, when, when we come to Jesus with our problems or when he asks us to participate in the problems of the world, a lot of times we're hoping, okay, God, just give me enough. Just give me a little bit. Lord, I've got this physical problem. Can you just alleviate some of the pain? Lord, I've got this financial need. Can you just help me meet this one area? Lord, I've got this business dream. Can you just make it to where maybe I could do it full time? I could make a living off of it. Lord, I've got this problem in my marriage. Can you just fix it to where things are smooth again? They don't even have to be great, Lord. I will settle for a good enough marriage. And we come with this idea of, yes, Jesus can solve our problems, but we don't really think he can solve them in abundance. And what he's teaching us in John 6 is as you surrender the little in your hand, not only is he going to multiply it for an abundance for you, but he's going to multiply it and it's going to overflow into an abundance for others as well. When God fills your heart with joy, it's not a just enough joy to push away the depression. It's a joy that wells up and overflows and spills into others around you. He is a God of abundance, right? And and the abundance he brings is not so that we kind of roll around in our wealth and in our excess. It is an abundance that overflows and gets shared with those around us. It's just this this really beautiful picture that he is always, as Paul tells us, the God who does exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or think or dream or imagine. And so I don't know what problems you're facing this morning, but, but I think some of us need to hear that encouragement of God isn't just going to meet it a little bit. He's gonna multiply it, he's gonna overflow it, and he's gonna meet it with an abundance. It's not going to bring you this little bit of freedom that makes your life just a tiny bit better. He's going to break every chain. He's going to throw off every hindrance. You are going to sprint into a life of freedom, and that freedom's going to spill out on others around you. He's just not, and still we sit here and think, I know that's true, but my problems are so big. My problems are so big. And, it, and, and we can look back and we think, I know Jesus has done this before, but but this problem's different. This problem's newer. And at the end of the story, it's, it's almost like Jesus anticipates our forgetfulness. Right? And, and so it says everybody has had all that they want to eat. And so he says to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I mean, listen to that, that last line again. So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves. 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves. It's just, and, and I think we just, we just got to stop here for a minute and think about that, right? Five pieces of bread feed 5,000 men, plus who knows how many women and children. And five pieces of bread turn into 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, Jesus doesn't do a single thing by accident. He knew they were going to find barley loaves. And he knew the barley was a sign that they lacked in quality and they lacked in quantity. And he also knew, hey, when I'm done, I'm going I'm to reproduce this in such a way 
that every single one of my disciples has to get up and they have to pick up a basket and they've got to start walking around and they're going to pick up the leftovers. And so Matthew, he gets his and he starts walking around and he's picking it up and it's, it's filling up like crazy. And, and Mark, he gets his and, and he goes around, he's picking it up and it's filling like crazy. And they just one after another, after another, they're seeing Jesus is filling up even more. And in Matthew, I mean, you can just, just picture it for a minute. Matthew's bending over and he's picking up the bread and he's remembering there were only five loaves. There were only five loaves. And yet here it comes and he's filling his and he, and he looks over and his is halfway full and he looks over and sees, but, but wait, Mark's, Mark's is full too? But there were five loaves. How is that, how is that possible? And then they look over at Peter, right? And, and Peter's the overachiever. He always is. So he's probably running ahead of everybody because he wants to fill his fastest. He wants Jesus to know. And you see Philip, Philip who said it would take half a year's wages for each of us to have one bite. And Philip's looking in and he's seeing these people have more than a bite. In fact, they had enough. They had so much that now it's overflowed and it's still there. Andrew, Andrew who said, man, I, I remember. I was the one who found the little boy. Right, I, I picked up the barley loaves, and now he's filling this up. Even Judas gets a bag, right? And Judas is walking around, and he's saying, I don't, I don't know how this is possible. I don't know what is happening. And at the end of the day, there are 12 basketfuls because there are 12 disciples, and each one of them is holding proof that whatever we have, it's always enough when Jesus intervenes. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. What's, what's in your basket? Because it's not just 12 baskets. I mean, today there are hundreds of baskets represented in this room. Today at Christian Chapel, there have been hundreds of stories of people who can tell you about God's miraculous provision in their life. Right? If we had time, I could tell you story after story from my life of how God has provided in miraculous ways, of seasons where I faced problems and thought, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. This is all I have. And he's told me, just let it go and it'll be enough. Just release it, and it'll be enough. Right, some of you this morning, you, you filled hundreds of baskets in your own life with stories of God's provision, but do you remember them? Do you tell other people about them? Do you point back, and do you say, if he did it then, he can do it again? I mean, just so many stories. After first service this morning, somebody stopped me, and he said, hey, God has just done this for me. He said, last year in my business, I lost a significant chunk, about 20 to 25%. He owns a small business. I mean, he said, it wasn't enough to bankrupt me, but it was definitely enough to hurt me. And, and through the circumstances that, that caused it, it was, it was through one of my contractors. I had no idea how I would ever recover or ever get it back. He said, about two months ago, I got a phone call. And out of the blue, I had more business come in from people I talked to three years ago, people I'd never met, people, and he said, I'm an introvert. I don't even like to talk on the phone. I'm a terrible salesman. But yet God was just raining down provision on me. Why? Because he had a problem and he took what he had in his hands. And he said, Lord, I, I've got these skills, but I don't have the others. But as he took it and as he let it go, God took it and expanded it. Right? There, there are stories like that around the room. I mean, there, there are some parents in this room, and, and I know because I have prayed the prayers with you for your child who is far from Jesus. And there are times that we're tempted to pray, Lord, will you just save them? 
That's it. We're not, we're not praying big prayers of faith. We're, we're like Philip saying, just a bite, just a little bit. And as we've prayed those prayers, we've come to the Lord and said, God, this is all we have in our hands. And he said, that's fine, it's enough. And as we've prayed those prayers and as we've released it, we've seen those sons and those daughters say yes to Jesus. And we see not only they say yes, but their life becomes a multiplier. And he begins to use their story of redemption. He begins to use their story of grace to spread and to go farther and faster than we could have ever hoped or imagined. Some of you stood in in the middle of physical difficulty, of sickness, of disease, of injuries, of trauma. And you've said, Lord, can you just relieve the pain? God, can you just bring me some relief? Lord, I I know it's not going to kill me, but can you just please make it a little bit better? And and I don't pretend to know how or why God chooses to heal in some seasons and not in others. But I know we can go around the room today, and there are stories of those seasons where you said, this is all I have in my hands, Lord. I don't have anything left to do. He said, that's fine. Just as you release it, that healing comes. right? And, And you have not only just been made a little bit better, you have been completely, totally, radically, forever healed from those things. For some of you, it's, it's been grief, it's been depression, it's been anxiety that will not leave. And, and you come and you've prayed those prayers of God. Can you just lift the cloud enough? Can you just lift it enough that I can go to work today? Can you just lift it enough that I can lift my head today? Lord, I don't have any more resources to answer this problem on my own. And he said, hey, as you release it, as you give it to me, I can do more than you could ever ask, think, hope, or imagine. And he has done that in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but now it is a life that's overflowing with joy, with peace, with confidence that God is with us. For some of us, that that problem we faced has been infertility. And I I know, I know, I know, because I've heard your stories. Because I've been the youth pastor to the kids that were the answer to your prayers because I've held the babies up here and dedicated them. And when we say, for this child I prayed, I know how hard you prayed. I know the tears you cried. And I know for some of you, as you came to the Lord and you said, we've exhausted all of our resources. We've done everything we know to do. The doors to adoption have been closed. The in vitro didn't work. Lord, we're, we're just stuck. And in that space of release, he has come. And your basket has went from dreaming of, will there be a day when I can hold a baby? And you've went from one baby, to two babies, to three babies, to some of you, to four, to five, to six babies, right? You went from from thinking, will I ever get pregnant, to not remembering a world where you weren't pregnant. You went when babies caused you tears because it hurt so deep, to babies caused you tears because you haven't slept in eight years, right? But God has provided in miraculous ways. All of us have stories of God's provision. And if you don't have your story yet, let me encourage you with this this morning. For as long as the bread remained in the little boy's basket or in Andrew's hands, it was only bread. And it was only enough to feed him and maybe one or two other people. But when he released it to Jesus, it was transformed from bread into a miracle that fed the multitudes. And in our lives this morning, the reason some of us, we just keep butting up against those problems is because we won't let go and surrender to the miracle. We won't let go and take that step of faith. So I don't know where you are, but, but I think you're in one of three spots this morning. You are either holding on to your bread in the face of your problem, or you've released it and it is somewhere between you and the basket. Right? Or it has landed and God has provided and you are living in his excessive abundant provision. 
But wherever you are, I hope you leave encouraged today knowing God sees your problems, he knew they were coming, and he has a way out and a way through for you. So if you'll stand up with me, I wanna pray for you. We're just gonna believe that what God has promised is true today, that if he did it then, he will do it again. So Jesus, we come. Each of us, Lord, we're raising our hands as an act of surrender to you. You put dreams in our heart, Lord. You have put, put desires in our mind that are far beyond our abilities. And Jesus, now we're coming and we're saying, not our will, but yours be done. We're saying, Lord, we're releasing what we have in our hands. We're letting it all go and we're asking you to work and to move in real and powerful ways. Lord, forgive us for doubting your ability to multiply. Forgive us for doubting your ability to provide with an abundance. Forgive us for forgetting our stories of your provision. Jesus, we come today. Lord, we're coming to ask you to build our faith. Jesus, we're coming to ask you to help us focus our attention back on you. Forgive us for letting our problems shrink our view of our Savior. Lord, today we come and be strong. We come and be powerful. Will you come and reveal yourself as the God who multiplies, the God who provides, the God who is in every single situation? Lord, I pray for those who, they come with relational problems, with emotional problems, they're coming with physical problems. They've got issues at work, they've got issues at school, they've got problems with kids, problems with parents. Today, Lord, we come and we choose to believe if you did it then, you can do it again. So Lord, that's our prayer. In the middle of our mess, will you do it again? you providing grace and mercy. Will you overflow out of our lives into the world around us? Jesus, we surrender to you. We surrender to your power. We surrender to your presence. We believe that you are actively at work. So Lord, give us hearts to believe. Give us ears to hear and give us feet that will follow the path you're laying out before us. Pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The band's going to lead us in a final song this morning. If you're facing some problems in your life and you want someone to join with you in prayer, if you'll head out the back doors and to your left to our prayer room, we have a team of volunteers ready and willing to pray with you, believing that God is at work. The rest of us, we're going to sing the song as, as both a declaration of, of faith and our prayer, that what God has done before, he will do again with the problems we're facing today. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me. Waiting for change to
go today, may you go with confidence that what God has done in the past for others, what he's done in the past for you, he can do again. Your, your problems might be new and they might seem big, but they are not insurmountable for Jesus. He saw them coming, he is leading you, he is guiding you through them, and every problem becomes an opportunity for you to experience his miraculous multiplication, his abundant provision, and to see him again for who he is and let that overflow out of your life into the lives of those around you. So as you go today, may you go full of faith, may you go full of confidence, knowing that for whatever you face, Jesus has an answer, he has a way through it, and he will be glorified in it. Thank you for worshiping him with us today. May you go in his grace and go in his peace. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.